Friends, if you would turn in your Bibles to Ruth chapter 2. Ruth chapter 2 will be our text this Lord's Day as we pick back up in this book that we began a few weeks ago. As we prepare for our time in the Word today, we just sang about the blessed name of the Lord and how we are to thank God whether things go well and we're at times where we feel there's a great harvest in our lives or whether it is times of of pain and not of plenty, times of suffering and times of trial. It is one thing to sing that, but the question is, do you truly believe that? Is your faith and your trust and your hope in God, even when it seems that there's nothing to hope in, when it seems that all hope has been lost, or when life does not work out the way you thought it would, when there is pain and suffering and death and destruction around you? Is our faith truly in God at all times? That is the question for us as we consider the songs and hymns we sing, as we consider what the Word of God teaches us, and it's certainly a question for us to consider as we return to the book of Ruth and a story that begins with great loss and tragedy. Elimelech and his wife Naomi have gone to a foreign land, to the land of Moab. They have left the Lord's fields and the promised land and sought provision, and yet as they go there, they find death and loss. Elimelech dies, his sons die, and Naomi is left with her two daughters-in-law to return to the land of Judah where she is bitter towards God because of what has become of her life. I wonder for how many of us this morning, are, are we struggling with bitterness towards God? Have we struggled with bitterness towards God over loss? And I hope that if that's where you find yourself this morning, that, that God has a word for you, a, a work to do in your heart. I hope you will experience that work through the power of His Spirit as we look to His Word today. So we're going to pick up in our study of Ruth in chapter 2. We are at a point in this study where now uh, Ruth has returned with her mother-in-law to Judah. It is a return for Naomi, but it is something very new for Ruth. This is a foreign land. She is a foreigner in this land, but she has placed her trust and her hope in God in the midst of her tragedy and loss. And she is now walking by faith and trusting in God. And we will see as we walk through this passage together today how she takes steps of faith and trust in God. My prayer is that we would do the same. So out of reverence for God's Word, if you're able to, if you would stand as I read Ruth chapter 2 for us. This is what the Holy Word of God says. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they said, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, 
Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after your reapers. So she came and she's continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother in your native land to come to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I'm not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, This man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with, this, with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. You would pray with me. Father, we have before us today a story, a true story, a story of your grace and your goodness in the life of a Moabite widow, a woman who in the midst of trial and tragedy has placed her hope and her trust in you, a woman whose story is tied into our story today because it's from her line that will come our Lord Jesus who has come. Our Lord Jesus in whom our faith and our hope rest today. Father, would you help us to see how 
there may be suffering, there may be trial, there may be tragedy in our own life. But Lord, in that too, you are writing a story. You are the great author in whom we can place our hope and trust. So help us to do that. In the name of Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as we continue in our study of Ruth, we are reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. That, that great instruction that we are to walk by faith and not by sight. That is not a, a bumper sticker slogan. That is not some inspirational suggestion. That is a command from the Holy Word of God to us today. We are commanded to walk by faith and not to walk by sight. We are commanded to trust in the Lord, not just in ourselves. And we are not only commanded of this, we are given a picture in the Word of God of what this looks like. And, and we've talked about this already in chapter 1, how God gives us in the book of Ruth really a, a picture of those who walk by sight and of those who walk by faith. And so we've looked at already how Elimelech and his family are those who walk by sight. He, he leaves the land of God's provision in a time of famine. He leaves the Lord's fields, the, the promised land, and rather than trusting in the Lord and repenting along with the other Hebrews, he, he goes off to a foreign land, a, a pagan land, a land of those who hated God's people, the Moabites. And for a while, he, he finds provision there. But we're reminded of God's Word where it tells us that that sin is pleasurable for a season. That this land of sinfulness, it, it offers something for Elimelech and Naomi and their boys for a season, but not for long, because it's there that Elimelech dies. After that, we see that Naomi continues in her husband's footsteps and walking by sight and not by faith. She gives her sons over to be married to Moabite women, something God's Word strictly had forbidden. Uh, she's not trusting in the Lord. She's not repentant. And then we see further calamity comes as her sons both die, as her daughters-in-law both seem at that point to be barren. They'd had no children with her sons. And so then Naomi, not out of repentance, but, but just out of bitterness towards the Lord, she just wants to go back to Judah and just die there. She, she blames the Lord for all her problems. She is walking by sight, not by faith. And yet it's in this context that that we see a great contrast when we're introduced to the heart of Ruth, who, who is now leaving her people, her family, everything behind, and, and she has put her trust in the Lord. She's put her faith in the Lord. She, she has converted. In fact, we talked a couple of Sundays ago about how that passage that's so often quoted in marriage ceremonies, Ruth 1.16, your people shall be my people, your God, my God, has nothing to do with a marriage ceremony, but but is the story of Ruth's conversion, of her placing her hope and her trust in God. She is now walking by faith. And as we study her walk of faith, my hope and my prayer is that we will learn more about how we too might walk by faith and trust in the Lord today, especially in areas that His Spirit may reveal to us that we're not trusting Him with. And so we're going to walk through this text and, and consider those things beginning with that first point there in your outline, uh, walking by faith requires us to take steps of faith. Walking by faith requires us to take steps of faith. That may sound rather elementary that to walk we need to take steps, but, 
that it's important for us to consider as we come to this text and as we identify what's taking place here. Now, the writer of Ruth wants us to kind of have a big picture there at the beginning of chapter 2 of what's going to happen in this chapter. And so that writer begins with telling us, now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Well, we are introduced to Boaz in that first verse so that we might be looking for him and understanding that he's going to be an important part of Ruth's story and ultimately of the story that God is telling through the book of Ruth that points us directly to Jesus Christ. And we'll be talking more next Lord's Day about this, but what we'll find in Boaz is that he'll be the kinsman redeemer. He'll be the one that, that redeems Ruth out of her suffering and of this trial and, and marries her. And, and from that union and that marriage will come a child and from that child and that lineage will come King David and ultimately our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the writer of Ruth wanting us to consider even as we are at the, the, the tail end of chapter 1 and of great loss and of Naomi bitter towards God and saying that she's left full and she's come back empty and God's hands against her. The writer of Ruth is reminding us, no, God's hand is at work here. Watch how his story unfolds. As that story continues, Ruth 2, verse 1, or excuse me, verse 2, that tells us that Ruth now tells Naomi that she's going to go out to the field and she's going to, to glean in the fields with hopes of finding favor in the owner of the field's eyes. Now, Ruth is not suggesting here that, that she's hopeful that something will happen like what does happen with Boaz. She's not going out looking for a husband. She's not going out looking to start a family. She's simply wanting to find food, and she's going to do that through a, an ancient practice that God had given His people of this gleaning principle. Now, this is something that God gave in the law through Moses, and, and it was to provide for those who were in need. What God instructed His people to do was this. They would have fields and farms, and they were instructed when they went out at harvest time to only pass through the field once. And as they passed through the field, there would be much that was left behind. There would be vegetation and fruits that, that fell by the wayside, but they weren't to go back a second time to pick those things up. They were to leave those for the less fortunate who would then come behind their workers and would gather up that which was left over. In fact, God instructed them not even to go around the perimeter of the field or the corners of the field, but to leave that harvest there. Why? So that God could provide for those who were in need. And God did this, I believe, for two reasons. One, God is meeting the needs of those who could not meet their own needs. Those who had found their circumstances, their trials, whatever had become of them, that they weren't in a situation to have their own harvest. And so God was providing this as a means to take care of the poor. But I also believe God was using this to, to remind His people that they had been the ones in need at one point. He's reminding them, for example, of the great work He did when they were uh, exodusing out of Egypt. And when they left that land and how He provided for them. They left as slaves. And God provides so much for them. But along the way, there were those times when that they didn't have provision. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know how they were going to fix it. And what does God do? He rains provision down in their lives. They were the ones who were in need. And God was the one who met their needs. And every time they would go out at harvest season and they would leave behind that extra that others would collect, God was reminding them to consider they were the ones whose needs He had met. That, that He is the great provider. And he was reminding His people of this. He was teaching this 
through this principle of gleaning. And yet we see, just as we see in other areas, that what God intended for good, a man can corrupt, and they did. And so the corruption we see here is that there was an errant danger in the gleaning process. For example, we see in God's law in Deuteronomy chapter 22, beginning in verse 25, God gives a specific law regarding men who would go in and abuse women who were gleaning in the field. Apparently what had happened was as these women went out into the field, they were vulnerable. And there might be men from that field, workers or nearby workers, who would go and would take advantage of those women and would abuse them. And to the extent that God gives a very harsh penalty. He says those men were to be put to death. That God gives this law because of the wickedness of man. And so we see in this gleaning principle, there were wicked men who would go in and take advantage of the less fortunate and would abuse them, specifically women, and specifically foreigners. And for someone to be a foreigner in this situation, to not be from that land, they would be ill-treated. They would be looked down on, and they would be the first to be abused. And so there were great dangers here. In fact, we see a suggestion of this as we consider chapter 2. Verses 8 and 9, Boaz there in his remarks to Ruth where he says, Have I not instructed and charged my young men not to touch you? Why would he say that? Because again, there seemed to be a, a problem with that happening. Even at the end of the chapter, you consider Naomi's remark to Ruth when Ruth tells her about the kindness that she's received from Boaz. What does she say to Ruth? Don't go to other fields where you might be assaulted. Now why is it important for us to understand the risk involved in gleaning. Well, it's important because it helps us to understand the step of faith that Ruth was taking. She was going out in that field trusting that the Lord would take care of her. She was taking a step of faith in order to walk by faith. She was trusting in the Lord. She was walking by faith. But you can't walk by faith if you won't take steps of faith. Now again, I know it sounds elementary. You can't walk if you don't step. But, but just think about what it is to take those first steps. Now many of you as parents, grandparents, you can think of that day when you or you recognize this in a family member where, where, where a baby, a relative, they take those first steps. And I think about our own children and, and what it was, especially for, for our firstborn, just, just that moment when you're so excited about them standing on their own and, and taking that first step, how, how we celebrate that. And it should be celebrated. It's funny now to be at this point of life where my kids are well beyond first steps and to be around so many who are starting out and babies are having their first steps and they're so excited and and I can be rather cynical thinking about, oh, well, you just wait now. You know, now that they're stepping, they'll be walking. And now they're walking, they'll be running. And, and you've got to move everything in your house up a couple of shelves. And, and that's a good thing, though. It's a maturing process. It's, it's what should happen. We, we want to see it. In fact, we, we lament when something's wrong, when a child can't walk when they should. That's that's not something we celebrate. Why? Because this is a normal, maturing process that should take place in the life of a child. They should learn to walk. They should take steps. And yet, consider how many of us in our walk of faith who never really take steps. 
I consider how for many of us we walk through the Christian life not really walking, not really stepping. We, we calculate the, the risk and the reward of every decision. We, we figure out what we can do and what we can control and what, what we can manipulate with our own hands. And, and we call that walking by faith when really we're just sitting there. We're never really stepping out in faith. I mean, just think about that for a moment. So often I know on Sunday mornings, our conversations can be about so many trivial things in the hallways and between Sunday school class and church, but what if our conversation this morning simply surrounded the question, tell me about a step of faith you took this week. To tell me about something you did that involved you completely trusting in God in such a way that, that, that you weren't in control of the outcome. Tell me about some way that you just trusted in the Lord and put your hope in the Lord and just took a step of trust. A step that, that you couldn't control, you couldn't manipulate. See, friends, if we never take those steps of faith, then we'll never truly walk by faith. And I think we see that in the life of Ruth, especially when we consider Ruth's life and her steps of faith and contrast those with Naomi's life and her lack of stepping out in faith. I mean, it, why wasn't Naomi in the field gleaning? That this was a principle God had given to His people. Naomi was in need. I mean, why at, at a minimum wasn't Naomi the one to say to Ruth, Ruth, you need to go out and do this. Ruth's the one that informs her. Well, why didn't Naomi go out in the fields? I think our easy answer to that is, well, she was probably too old, but I don't know that that's the case. Now, we're never given the age of Naomi, but as we start to consider the times that are given to us, the, the 10 years that they spent in Moab, the, the ages of the children, the boys probably being young when they went, I, I would consider that Naomi's probably in her early 50s at the oldest at this point, perhaps even in her late 40s. And the suggestion would be that she was in pretty good physical condition because she had journeyed from Moab to Judah, which while we don't know the exact distance, was probably at least 70 miles, perhaps hundreds of miles. In fact, the indication there is that she was willing to journey without her daughters-in-law. She told them to go back to Moab. So it doesn't seem that she's physically enabled to go out in the field. So why didn't Naomi go out to glean? And I think the answer for us is because Naomi was bitter towards God. And Naomi wasn't taking steps of faith because she was, she was mad at God. And rather than taking those steps and entrusting in the Father to hold her and to guide her, she is sitting there, arms crossed, refusing to trust in Him. She is mad at Him because what has come in her life. She feels His hand is against her. And so we have this picture of Naomi who was raised in the household of faith and yet she's not walking by faith at all. And then Ruth who's recently come in to the household of faith and trusted in God and she's the one stepping out in faith and the one trusting in God. She's walking by faith by taking steps of faith. Friend, are you walking by faith today? Are there tangible steps in your life that are recognizable? Is there fruit of your walk of faith that you can point to and that others can see as well? 
You see, when you do walk by faith, then you're better able to recognize the sovereign hand of God at work. When you do step out in faith, you're more likely not to look to yourself, but to look and see what God is doing. And as Ruth does this and she steps out in faith, she is able then to see the sovereign hand of God at work. And that brings us to the second point there in your outline, this, that God is sovereign over the steps that we take. God is sovereign He is in control. He has a providential plan that He is working out over the steps that we take. So we see this this tension in the Scripture of God's sovereignty and of our human responsibility. And we see it so clearly here. Notice verse 3. The writer tells us, Ruth set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come. She just happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz who was of the clan of Elimelech. The writer here is wanting to point out to us that this was no blind chance. Almost by really emphasizing that word. It just happened. And the NIV says, as it turned out, literally in the Hebrew it says, her chance chanced. <laughs> and we can look at this as well. Well, she was just so lucky, but the writer's helping us see, no, there was no blind luck, there was no blind chance here. She who was part of the sovereign work of God in His hand providentially being at work, that she would go to that field. Again, there's no indication here that Naomi said anything to her about Boaz. The writer tells us in verse 1 about Boaz, but Naomi's doing what? She's just sitting at home, bitter towards God, mad at God. Ruth's the one that says, well, I'm going to go out in a field and perhaps I'll find favor. Naomi, okay, do whatever you want to do. And yet, as Ruth walks by faith, we see God's sovereign hand guiding her. And friends, as we study the Word of God, that's what we see over and over again. Consider the words of the psalmist. Psalm 37, verse 23. The steps of a man, so human responsibility, the steps of a man are established by the Lord. Established. Not supported, not the Lord came alongside. No, the Lord is the one established them them as man takes them. God is sovereignly at work. Proverbs 16, verse 9. The heart of man plans his way, So we make our plans, we make decisions, we make choices. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And so we we look at what's taking place here with Ruth, and we can look at it from two entirely different perspectives. So as we look from a human perspective, we can look at Ruth and say, wow, well, she was really lucky here. Wow, what are the chances? Well, it just kind of just happened to work out that way. Or there are some who, who might want to not want to attribute this to God. They might use words like destiny and fate. But they're not attributing it to God. Why? Because they're looking from a human perspective, explaining in human ways how this is working out. And yet from the perspective of God, in the lens of His sovereignty, what do we see? That God was orchestrating these events. That from the foundation of the world, from the time that Ruth was born in Moab, from the very first conversation that she had with her first husband, until the day that he died and she was left there with nothing, and then the day that she took that journey with her mother-in-law Naomi and that that conversation that they had where she tells Naomi, I want to put my faith, my hope, my trust in, in the God of Israel. 
to that very moment that she stepped out in faith, knowing the danger that could become her, knowing that she might be assaulted, knowing how she might be treated as a foreigner, on that very day as she stepped out in faith, just wanting food and provision, God is at work to bring her into a situation where not only is He going to give her a husband in Boaz, but He's going to give him a child And from their genealogy and their family tree will come the greatest king who ever rules in Israel, King David. And from that line and from that king will come the king of all kings, our Lord Jesus Christ. Did Ruth see all of this? No. She simply took a step of faith. Friends, that's what walking by faith looks like. We're not given the picture at the end of, of all the details along the way and how it all works out, we're just called to step by faith, step by faith, step by faith, trusting in the God of all creation that He is at work to work out His plans and His purposes. But we do not see these things when we look at this from a human perspective. Well, Ruth happened to come. How did she happen? She was walking by faith. She was trusting in God. The heart of man plans His ways, but the Lord establishes His steps. We see that God is sovereign over the steps we take. And so the lesson here for us as we walk by faith is to understand that God is intimately involved in the day-to-day details of those who follow Him. And and the, the threat here, the temptation, is that when things don't go the way that we thought they might, and worse than that, when, when tragedy comes in our life, when suffering comes in our life, that the threat, the temptation there is to, to distance ourselves from God in such a way where we may say, well, God, I know you're in control, but like Naomi, we say, but I don't know that you're good. I mean, that was Naomi's struggle. We talked about this. Well, God, you're sovereign, but, but you're not good because this isn't good. How, how do you... How do you open up the news and see the story of an evil, wicked person who slaughters 50 people? How, how do you look at that and say, there's good there? How, how do you, in your own life, reconcile when those you love suffer? How do you deal with the evening news and the the absolute horrific nature of crimes against children and those who are vulnerable? How how do you look at those things and reconcile that with anything being good? We need to fundamentally understand God God, and showing us in His Word that He is sovereign and good. He's not saying that evil is good and that wickedness is good. God hates evil. That the anger that you get when you see it, multiply that by a billion trillion and you won't get to the wrath of God. His wrath burns against that. He hates it. But His purposes and His plan are good. And, And if we refuse to take the eyes, our eyes off of the, the details in such a way where we, we want to see 
wicked and, and somehow call it good if we refuse to see that, that God truly is sovereign and He truly is good if we just look at these things from a human perspective and, and just get bitter and mad and angry all the time, then, then we never see the beauty of the Gospel and of the goodness of God. And we, like Naomi, we, we sit home and we don't consider what it might be that God is at work doing. And notice, God's still doing it. <laughs> but, but she misses out on so much initially. And yet, Ruth is trusting in God and she is able to see the sovereignty of God and oh, how we see it play out in this book. And she goes to the field. She works hard. I mean, the indication from the text is that she's working so much harder than anybody else. And, and Boaz comes, he takes notice of her and she catches his eye and he begins to inquire and then he learns this this story about how she had come back from Moab and how she'd left everything behind and how she's out there caring for her mother-in-law. And, and ultimately, I think he's hearing the story of her faith and seeing the fruit of her faith. And he shows her tremendous favor. Go and drink the water that my men have pulled out of the well. well that's a reversal of what you normally see in the Old Testament. Come to my table. Eat the best I have to offer you. He is graciously, overwhelmingly gracious to her. And why? Because she's trusting in the Lord. Brings us to that third point in your outline. God is gracious to those who take refuge in Him. Boaz looks to Ruth and says in verse 12, The Lord repay you for what you've done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have taken refuge. That, that word refuge indicates shelter. You, you brought yourself under the, 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 the shelter of God's care. You, you're trusting in Him, Ruth. It, it is evident, Ruth. Well, what does that mean? Pastor John Piper says it this way in referring to this, this refuge she takes in God. He writes this, the picture is of God as a great winged eagle and Ruth as a threatened little eaglet coming to find safety under the eagle's wings. The implication of verse 12 is that God will reward Ruth because she has sought refuge under His wings. This is a teaching throughout the Old Testament. In fact, the psalmist says it this way, Psalm 57, verse 1, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. And in the shadow of your wings I'll take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. The, the picture here is that, that, that God is the shelter in the storm. And that those who take refuge in Him are placing their, their full trust in Him. And as they put their trust in Him, then, then their hope and their joy comes from Him. But friends, your, your hope and your joy will never come if you don't truly take refuge under the wings of God. And your hope and your joy truly won't come if you're constantly trying to take yourself out from under the wings of God and, and pulling away from God and pushing and just trying your hardest to go the other direction. I had the opportunity last year to go with my family to Orlando to a theme park. I had learned on previous trips that God did not design this body for roller coasters. 
Unfortunately, I learned by trial and error. And so on this trip, uh, learning that lesson, I decided to sit while they were all enjoying these wicked creations. And, and so I sat and I did what maybe some of you do when you sit at a place like this. I just people watched. And I made an observation. I saw how there were so many families there, families with young children. And so you'd see one family that would come by and, and you know, as good parents do when you're in a crowd like that, so many people, they, they hold tight to that child's hand. And I'd see some as they walked by holding tight to that child's hand whose kids were just holding their hands and just grinning, you know, big turkey leg in their hand, whatever it was. They're just, just happy to be there, just excited. Oh, look at that, look at that, just pointing to stuff. The whole time they're just, they're just holding on to that hand that's holding on to them. Joy, happiness. But not everybody. I also observed how there were some parents walking along and they were holding a child's hand who wasn't so happy and so joyful. And they were crying, they were screaming, some of this, just trying to pull out of that parent's hand. Others who they're just literally, you know, dragging them around and about to pass out. But here's what I observed in both those cases. Mom and dad, they didn't let go of that child. One had great joy and trust in their parents' hands. The other perhaps started the day that way. But whether they just got tired or worn out, or maybe in some cases they, they saw something they wanted more than their parents' hand. I want to go over there. I want to go do that. That looks fun. That looks better. And they just pull and pull and pull trying to go after that which they think will be best. Those parents know better. So they hold tight and they hold firm. We know as adults that you're not really holding hands with your child. You're holding the hand of your child. <laughs> and they may be holding it back, but that hold, that grip doesn't rest. It's not secure because of your child's strength. It's secure because of the love of the father and the mother, the parents. And as I watched this unfold before me, I couldn't help but think about how often we are like those children in our relationship with the Lord. And in those times of trust, there's joy. And in those times of security, when we, when we trust that, that, that God truly is working His goodwill and good pleasure through our life, there's joy and there's excitement and we're thankful. Our hearts are thankful. We Blessed be the Lord. You, you give and you take away. We trust You, Lord. There are other times when, when we struggle and like that child, we get mad and we get upset and we make demands and we want to go over here or go over here because that looks better to me than the protection of God. If we're honest, there's times when we don't feel so protected. We just want to go after the things of the world. We're just mad. We're frustrated. We're just not walking, not stepping. This is so often how we are with God. And the message for us, the reminder for us here is that, that God's desires is not just to hold firm to us as the Scripture says He does. What does Jesus say to those who follow Christ? You're in My hand, and you're in the Father's hand, and no one can snatch you out of My hand. Absolute security we have in the hand of Christ and in the hand of God. 
But friends, are, in, are you in that hand today joyfully? Are, are you really joyful when He gives and when He takes away? Are you trusting in Him? Or are you stepping out in faith? Or are you pulling fiercely to go the other way? We will see as we continue in this story just the beautiful picture of the Gospel and Boaz is a kinsman redeemer, but I want to pause here and just note this. Point four. We'll not experience that provision. We'll not experience the Lord's harvest if we labor in other fields. Again, just consider the contrast. Here's Elimelech and Naomi in the Lord's field. And it's a hard time. It's a time of famine. And, and what do they do? They, 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 they try their hardest to just pull out of the grip of God. We're going to go to the enemies of God. We will find our provision there. God, I'm fine trusting you as long as you give me the boyfriend, the girlfriend, the spouse that I want. And if you won't, well, I'll go find them on my own. God, I'm, I'm fine trusting you as long as things work out, but when they don't work out and when things go wrong and when I look at the world and its wickedness and, and they seem to be flourishing and yet I'm struggling here and I'm losing here and yet I'm walking by faith. Well, I'm just going to go the other way. I'm tired of this. Why try anymore? And we, we, we seek to leave this land of promise, this shelter, this provision, the, the wings of the Lord. And we go after so many things of the world, so often in so many ways. And why? Because it is pleasurable. Sin is pleasurable. For a season. And then we find ourselves wanting and then we find ourselves with greater complaints towards God. And then we say, well, God, why me? I wonder how often Naomi in Moab, after the death of her husband and the death of her sons, I wonder how often she looked at the wicked Moabites and what she perceived to be blessing in their life and looked at her own life and what she saw was clearly calamity and loss. I wonder how often she said to God, why me, God? yet she would not experience God's blessing until she did what? Until she came back to God's fields. And friends, you and I won't either. And so perhaps this morning, rather than asking the question, why me, as we think about suffering and calamity, perhaps we should look to the cross. Where the Scripture tells us God demonstrated His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, pulling away from Him, running to other fields. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the right response to that is, why me? Why would God give His Son, His precious Son, His sinless Son, for those who are so lost and wretched and wicked? Why would God do this? Because God demonstrates His love. Friends, God's Word tells us He has a plan from the beginning of the foundation of time. And that plan is to call out to those who are His and to bring them home to His fields and to pull them 
under His wings and to shelter them and protect them. That does not mean we won't suffer and we won't lose. But what it means is that we have an eternal hope for an eternal glory that rests in an eternal God. And He is worthy of our praise. And He is worthy of our trust. And He is worthy of our life. And He is certainly worthy of our steps of faith. Will you walk by faith today? Will you trust in Him today? That is the call from His Word. And that is a call that we can only respond to through the power of His Holy Spirit. So let's go to Him now in prayer. Father God, we do come to You in the name of Christ. Lord, I I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that that, that we would see something more in Ruth than than a story of romance. That that we would see just this big picture of Your provision. We'd see how, how Boaz shows favor to Ruth. And how we'd understand how You've shown favor to us. That we would see how Ruth here is a fairly new convert to the faith, how she's trusting in you and taking steps of faith, and yet Naomi, who it would seem had been raised in the household of faith, she's bitter. She's hardened towards you. I wonder how many of us that's true for this morning. I wonder how many of us, Lord, if we're honest before you, I wonder the far reaches, the far corners of our heart, if there's not some bitterness there, some some anger, some frustration towards You. Perhaps, Lord, this is the time that You have appointed providentially for that to be dealt with. For us to repent. For us to trust in You. For us to come under Your wing and to take refuge and hope in You. Lord, would You help us to do this through the power of Your Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.